We've got Cage. We've got Scorsese. We've got New York at Night. We've got Nicolas Cage on the Edge. What have we got, Faith? We've got Bringing Out the Dead. Right now on the Late Night Fright. Am I getting through to you, Alva? <laughs> Welcome to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan, and with me, as always, is my my very philosophical co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Faith, it's good to be here. It is. It is good to be here. (laughs) I'm feeling a little philosophical tonight myself. Yeah, I think part of it has to do with the movie that we're talking about tonight. Now, this is your pick this week. You picked this movie. What are we talking about, Faith? Bringing Out the Dead. The 1990 film from director Martin Scorsese starring one of our favorites here on the show. (laughs) And I would like to give you the pleasure of introducing the star of this movie. The one and only Nicolas Cage. Our man from Long Beach, California, <laughs> Nicholas Kim Coppola. He's a favorite of us here on the show. Yeah. We did a whole cage match uh, arc on the show. Those episodes are available wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, we pitted the films of cage against one another in an effort to determine which was the cagiest. And we did come up with a winner. And we have been batting around the idea of possibly doing a second round of the cage match because faith and i are not weird enough already (laughs) right right but we have to do another round (laughs) we do we need to do the video on demand films i think and just go deep he is officially now we mentioned this last week on the show but we want to mention this again he is officially the hardest working man in hollywood something like 25 films in five years something like this and uh so averaging about five a year and how many can you name of his output in the past five years? Uh, like one? One or two. One or two. Yeah. He's a favorite uh, here on the show. This is a great film. I'm really excited to be talking about it. Uh, feeling philosophical because of the movie. I think there's there's a lot to get into with this movie. And I got some news this morning. Uh, a good friend of mine passed away, a gentleman I played music with for years and years and years. Uh, his name was George. He was a wonderful keyboard player. Uh, he played all over the world. Uh, I don't expect anyone out there to know who he is, but uh, he was well known in our music community here. Faith, you got the opportunity to hear George play on several occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was wonderful, wasn't he? Oh, he was incredible. Such a sad thing. And uh, he he was a, a keyboard player. He had a wonderful uh, feel, uh, just in general. For music, he was one of the most interesting personalities I ever got the the chance to know. He was a nervous Nelly. It was so endearing. It was it was so precious to watch him <laughs> be a nervous Nelly. Uh, he he died uh, at at his uh, keyboard at his piano. So um, he was there at least trying to do what he loved. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's he's no longer with us. But um, I want to bring this up because not to bring anybody down. Uh, and I do want to tell all of you out there that he was a wonderful man and I loved him very much and he'll be missed. And our thoughts are with uh, his friends and, and his family and anybody that's ever played with him or, or, or knew him. But uh, 
we we both uh, we we came from different generations, and we both love Memphis soul music. And Memphis soul music, uh, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, I think I've mentioned on several occasions just what a fan I am mm-hmm. of Memphis soul music. And Faith, you are too, aren't you? I am. It's just. There's something about it, you know? <laughs> there is something, yeah, magical and yes. mystical to me about Memphis soul music. Uh, I feel about Memphis music the way that George Harrison felt about Indian music. And, you know, when you find that thing uh-huh. that speaks to you <laughs> in the heart level, right. you know, on that, on that level, it's mystical and magical. Now, soul music is very interesting. It's a very interesting study. You have kind of uh, three major schools of soul music. You have the Motown sound out of Detroit. You have the Philly sound, uh, obviously out of Philadelphia. And then you have the Memphis sound, Stax Records and High Records. Uh, Al Green was on High Records, but Stax Records had all of my favorites and George's favorites too. Booker T and the MGs were the house band there. Uh, Greatest band in the world, if you ask me. They played on hits their own hits, but they played on hits by Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, Johnny Taylor, Isaac Hayes, you name it, they played on it. Uh, fantastic assortment of musicians. Okay, so the reason I want to I want to harp on this a little bit now, we don't talk current events on this show. Right. We, we, <laughs> we, we try our best to stay away from them, but there's so much going on right now, and I just want to throw this out. I want to throw this out. Uh, two things, a lot going on. I am personally of the opinion that we all need to take a step back, take a deep breath, let it out, mm-hmm. and then let's see where we are. There you go. I think there's a lot of talking going on right now. Uh, the Taoists say that if you're talking, you're not listening, and if you're not listening, you're not learning. So a lot of talking. The sentiment out there, if you disagree with this sentiment, you know, that's your thing, you know, the sentiment is you need to be speaking up, speaking up, speaking up. I right. think we need to actually bring it down. I agree. Bring it down a little bit. Yeah. So we can listen and communicate and talk. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm bringing up the soul music out of Memphis from the 60s uh, is this is magical music to me. This is special music to me. This is very personal music to me. And you know, What is the best thing about it, Faith? Do you know what the best thing about it What's is? What's that? It's completely integrated music. The band mm-hmm. was completely integrated. In fact, Booker T and MGs were half white and half black. Yep. The horn players were uh, were were uh, there was two of them. One was white, one was black. You know, the <laughs> artists out front were black. Uh, but the great thing about the Memphis sound, as opposed to the Philadelphia or the Motown sound, is the Memphis sound draws from rock and blues and country and gospel and honky tonk and all of this stuff, and it comes together in this wonderful mystical package that we call southern soul music exactly (laughs) that was made by white men and black men yes working together Mm -hmm. you know creating rainbows yeah so that's something to think about it really something to think about it feels like some people and again if you disagree with me on this there's more power to you i feel like some people would like to segregate society Mm mm-hmm you know, I was I was raised to believe that we were supposed to integrate and we were supposed to get along and respect one another. And I grew up, you know, with some great idols. And, uh, you know, my heroes are these guys in these bands. Right. And this is what they were doing at a time, you know, when this was not, you know, uh, Vogue in Vogue. But, mm-hmm. you know, they would go and 
perform in the deep south together on stage two white men two black men making music that is just absolutely timeless and just really hits you right in the heart yeah so i just want to you know and i got thinking about that with with george's passing and uh i wanted to mention george on the show and i didn't want to just mention him it just felt appropriate to to bring that in because his great love of that music and it got me listening to it today so there you go I think it's a good point. I'm glad you brought it up. There you go. So everybody, wherever you are out there, we hope that you are safe. We hope that you are well. Take a deep breath. Let it out. We're going to have some fun tonight. Uh, We're talking about the 1999 Martin Scorsese film, Bringing Out the Dead. Who stars in it, Faith? Nicholas Cage. The one and only (laughs) Nicholas Cage. (laughs) George, we love you. We absolutely love you. Heaven has one hell of a keyboard player, and um, the music just has to be out of this world right now. You got some of the great uh, musicians up there with you, and I hope that you're jamming with them right now, George. I love you. I miss you, and we'll see you again one day. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we are going to take a very short break, but we will see you on the other side. Should we tell them about what we did, Faith? Yeah, you should tell them. We pitted the films of Nicolas Cage against each other to determine which is the cagiest. And what did we call it, Faith? The Cage Match. And we haven't been the same since. No, we have not. The Cage Match episodes, along with all of our other episodes, are available wherever podcasts can be found. Go ahead, listen to them. You won't be the same either. We dare you. We'll see you on the other side. All the dialogue is either whispered or screamed. Oh, no, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! Oh, my eyes! Everything in the movie is on fire. Am I getting through to you, Alpha? I said, put the bunny back in the box. Oh, no, my eyes! Calm down, Nick. Let's do our self-esteem exercises where we pay each other compliments. We're going to have a three-way with the Declaration of Independence. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we're just going to get right into it. Let's go for Let's it. Let's go for it. Faith, you picked tonight's movie. Tonight's movie, the 1999 Morton Scorsese film, Bringing Out the Dead, starring the one and only Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. our man in Long Beach, <laughs> Nicholas Kim Coppola, <laughs> uh, one of our favorites here. Uh, before we get into it, uh, what drew you to this movie? Because this was a first time watch for you. Mm-hmm. I had not seen this film since it was released on video back 21 years ago. Oh, wow. So it felt like a first time watch for me. Um, even though a lot of it came back, came rushing back, and mm-hmm. I and I'd actually read the book. So, okay. uh, but what uh, what drew you to this movie? Nicholas Cage, <laughs> really, in the short of it, the no, I was, and that is the correct answer. I mean, by yeah, the way. I mean that's really it. I was scrolling through Prime, and there were movies that you know it was recommended to me, and I was like, oh, I've never heard of this one, which was odd. And I was like, let me let me let me look at the trailer and and read about it, and I was like, oh, okay. 
And this is, uh, as we said, from uh, legendary film director Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. This is considered lesser Scorsese. So this comes at a time right between uh, Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio in Scorsese's <laughs> filmography. Because uh, this is, as we said, 99. Let's see. Let me get a release date. Uh, October 22nd, 99. Uh, he would start working with Leo in 01 or 02. And he had uh, you know, been working with De Niro up to that point. So this is you know, the transition right. between the two. <laughs> Got another Italian in there, right? <laughs> um, Scorsese really doesn't need much of an introduction. No. Scorsese is part of the crew that we mentioned so much here on the show, the mm-hmm. Mafia, of John Milius, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg. Those guys. Right. You know, the the uh, Robert Zemeckis, the Ron Howard crew. You know, th- mm-hmm. those guys. No talent. No no talent in that in that, uh, mm-hmm. in that group. But uh, most of the guys we just mentioned are West Coast. Scorsese is definitely East Coast. Scorsese is New York all the way. Oh, yes. This guy, uh, yeah, just is New York through and through. It's it's in his DNA, I think. You I know, think that so. and <laughs> that and Catholicism. You know the uh, the Italian heritage, the the Catholicism, yeah. and New York City just are, are are what make up this guy's DNA in his movies. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of it here. Uh, in this film so let's get right into it uh we know why you picked it uh (laughs) did you have any expectations going in not really i mean obviously scorsese i mean he's huge you know what i mean so yeah i kind of figured this movie would be halfway decent right and and nicholas cage is one of those people that i feel like can either be brilliant or it's like what are you watching Right. (laughs) right so that's why i was kind of you know, okay, right. we'll see what's happening. Yeah, before we get into it, this is uh, based on a book by Joe Conley, who was himself a paramedic, uh, was written by Paul Schrader, who directed, uh, not directed, he wrote Scorsese's classic Taxi Driver, a lot of the same themes in Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. New York at Night. This deals with uh, 48 hours to three days, depending on how you're kind of counting it in the life of Frank Pierce. He's a uh, paramedic who is really at the end of his rope because he hasn't saved anyone in months. He's burned out. He wants to get fired. Uh, he's feeling the existential crush of life. He's being haunted by the ghost of a woman he could not save, a homeless girl who was 18 named Rose. He's seen her face everywhere. This is a drama, yet there are elements of the supernatural and horror to it, although it's not predominantly a horror right. or a supernatural <laughs> film. Uh, but there are just elements of the macabre to it and just the, the existential just just crush of life. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I was mentioning my, my good friend, George, it was kind of uh, funny the way this worked out. I watched the movie and then got this phone call. So it was this weird philosophical, you know, right. You know, thing going on in my head all day. And it was kind of like, of course, this would be, you know, <laughs> the movie. But um, so that's kind of the long and short. of it. it this is a movie. Where not a lot happens, but everything happens. Exactly. It's, it's, it's bare on plot, but very heavy, mm-hmm. you know, in, in what happens in the film. Uh, in a lot of ways, reminds me of like a Seinfeld episode, you know, yeah. and, and what they would say about Seinfeld, how, oh, nothing happens to you, but everything happens. <laughs> you know, it's, it's about nothing but everything, which is, I think, a good description for this movie. I think so. So let's get into it. What did you think of Bringing Out the Dead? I was, uh, I was blown away actually how much i loved this movie did you like it i i loved it and i want to echo you i was blown away by how much i enjoyed it too and i knew how good it was i remember Mm -hmm. 
I had a favorable review of this when I when I saw it 20 something years ago. And, you know, that's always weird, though, when you go back to a movie you haven't seen in a while. And was amazing to me was how much came back and just flooding back and these images of this movie, because this movie is really comprised of images. There's not a lot of story here. Mm -mm. You know, traditional plot, I should say. There is a story. There are through lines throughout the movie, vignettes, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, there's not really like a connective thing outside of uh, this character, Frank Pierce and his exploits over Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, leading into Sunday, you know, mm-hmm. three days. Is there a Christ connotation there? Possibly, <laughs> right? There could, Maybe. There could be. Uh, I was surprised at how much I was empathizing and sympathizing with Frank Pierce, mm-hmm. played by Nicolas Cage. Who, And let's get this straight out of the box. This is Cage's movie. Oh, yeah. The movie lives and dies on Nicolas Cage's oh, yeah. shoulders. He is in every scene of this movie, I believe, yeah. too. The, I believe I, so. I, uh, I don't think there's a scene he's not in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, it almost kind of reminded me of like an old detective movie because the detectives were always in every scene every of those scene. movies. <laughs> and there is kind of that kind of film noir vibe yes. almost to this. There's a lot of vibes in this movie. Mm-hmm. But what you're getting is this look at this guy going through this this crisis of of conscience faith what would you call it uh what kind of you know i call it the existential crisis i mean yeah i mean i I would go there (laughs) yeah um what what was it about it that was that was really pulling you in because this is a heavy film i don't want to i will say this at the outset i don't have a uh theory of everything that ties it all together it's it's whatever you bring to it and get out of it like the cave and uh on dagobah (laughs) and uh Empire Strikes Back, uh, Yoda's cave. Uh, what what was it that was that was really getting getting to you about? You know, it, it was really him. And I know I keep just saying Nicolas Cage for every answer, but I mean, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I could just feel I could feel him playing in, in this role. I didn't feel like I was watching somebody play a role. It almost had this kind of is documentary like of. There was a realism to it yeah. for sure. I just felt like it was yeah. he was just bringing something. Yeah, and this is kind of interesting because this comes between, you know, this is at, at the pinnacle of his success, you know, as a movie star, mm-hmm. you know, big capital letters, movie star, you know, uh, this is after Face Off and Con Air and uh, but maybe before uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, maybe uh, around the same time. But it's nestled in between all these action movies. And it's almost like like, hey, remember, I, I can do drama, too. Right. You know, I, I can do drama with the best of them. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I kept thinking, watching him, that this is the Ronnie Camareri character from Moonstruck taken to this really awful place. Yes. You know, I was getting elements of Ronnie yeah. in it, uh, probably because of New York, maybe the hair, yeah. the look, just the put uponness of him. I was feeling him. I was feeling him. Me and too. I was feeling him because of the times that we find ourselves living in. Again, I know we say we don't talk about things, but I mean, the current event right now, you know, this is everywhere right now with this pandemic. And then now here in America, at least, I don't I really don't know what's going on across the world. Uh, A lot of racial tension right now. But you have this guy, uh, uh, the Frank Pierce character played by Cage, who I feel like is a guy who is seen behind the veil in a way. Right. Behind the game of life. I think, and he's looking at it differently mm-hmm. than other people because Ving Rhames has that great line about it's the way you look at it. It's, the, it's your thinking, brother. You know, that's yep. that's wrong. 
So he's seeing things differently. And I feel like there's a spiritual awakening happening in this guy and it's causing a depression, which a spiritual awakening, if you've done any research on these things, uh, you know, do cause depression because there's a death of the old way of life mm-hmm. you know, that's happening. And I think this is what's happening to this guy. And he's realizing some things about life, you know, wanting and correct me if I'm wrong here. I get the idea. He's holding on too tight. He wants to save everybody. Mm-hmm. That's yes. not, he can't. That is an imbalance yep. because life is meant to die. You right. know, and he's holding on too tight. Yeah. And the final act in this movie, spoiler alert, he, he, uh, I don't know, uh, euthanizes, I guess would be the right word for it. He helps this old man die who's been resuscitated 30 something mm-hmm. times up to this point. But he willingly helps this man die and right. he can't see he's been trying to save people the entire movie helps this guy die and that's the release it's almost like the balance is restored there because exactly. the natural order so he's fighting the natural order in this movie is that something is you feel like that's close to the, oh, to yeah. the mark i think so yeah yeah i think so and i just think he brings that out like you said he's just watching him yeah watching him it's just it's all on his face he's just got so much going on it's it's beaten down puppy dog cage mm-hmm. face yeah you know it's not sad sack cage no. it's, it's beaten down puppy dog cage yeah you know and you can tell he's a good man you can tell this is a good guy this is a guy who wants to do well and yeah. it's just it's eating at him so as we said the film is a series of vignettes really it's it's his journey through this feeling towards towards the ascension almost you know uh the cast here though is really really good uh let's start with his partners he has three (laughs) partners throughout this and the three partners show up uh in the one shows up in the first act then he gets another one in the second act in the third act he gets he gets the other one um these are all really really wonderful actors uh we have john goodman we have Ving Rhames, and we have uh, Tom Sizemore, who I think might be crazy in real life, too. I think, uh, wasn't he on the Intervention shows? Then I think Tom Sizemore. I don't know. Uh, there, there's, there's, we're going to look him up. Uh, this is another noteless show here on the Late Night Fright. Uh, let's start uh, with these three guys, because this is Cage's show, but he does have some great support. Uh, what did you think of, of the three ambulance uh drivers he's he's stuck with here i like I, I loved all three of them and i love how each one just feels like they're so different <laughs> i feel like they represent a different aspect of life yeah uh the goodman character represents like the materialism this is mm-hmm. a job he's he's more like the nine to five i want to be the boss mm-hmm. you know ving rames is the spiritual side of it he's somebody <laughs> who's maybe looked on the other side of the veil too and has come back and has found at least uh, some semblance of religion. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, although he's not all the way there because he still (laughs) likes to drink and he still, you know, carries on and he's not fully committed to this life-saving thing. He only do it two days a week, but which I thought was so funny, you know, just a, he's a, he's an odd character. Uh, Marcus. I feel like he like wakes, wakes the movie up in a way. Almost like a, a breath of fresh air, if that makes any sense for this heavy movie. I don't know. He made me he made me laugh. And it he's was, he's he definitely was my comic. Favorite. He's definitely comic <laughs> relief. Um, and then you have Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore, uh, you know, brings another level of, of energy to it. Tom Sizemore in this movie is playing 
the role you would normally expect Nicolas Cage to play. Oh, the, that's, that's true. The the crazy the crazy eyed lunatic. Yeah, like a hyperactive. <laughs> yeah, crazy person. So I feel like the Goodman character is the material world. He's the one. This is a nine to five. We're getting paid. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be the boss. You know, uh, Ving Rhames is the spiritual side, and then there's uh, Tom Sizemore, who uh, his name is even kind of like Wolf. I think his name is Wall in the movie, and he really enjoys. He gets off on the uh, on the the blood and the yes. the you know the the despicable nature of this the death mm-hmm. side of this he gets off on you know which is an ironic character study <laughs> you know so um, and Cage gets paired with these three kind of lunatics in their own right I think with, pretty much did you catch the lunatic vibe from these three guys oh I did yes. <laughs> And like you said, it's usually the other way around where you think Nicolas Cage would be playing that role. But he's yeah. he's level-headed for the most... At least he feels normal for the most part. Well, he's relatable. Right. For sure. Yeah. And uh, no, the cast there is really great. Uh, now, we have another cast member who who is his kind of dance partner in this movie. Now, he was married to her at the time. That is Patricia Arquette. We've talked about her on the show before on the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 commentary that we did uh we both really like that movie and we really like her in that movie too yes um what did you think of patricia arquette here because i'm gonna throw this out she is someone for me who is hit and miss Mm -hmm. um it depends on the material and which patricia arquette shows up right so uh what did you think of patricia arquette here as mary burke the woman whose father is dying in the hospital and who is a recovered drug addict i liked her i feel like she fit that very gritty look of the movie. I feel like her life was kind of fitting for everything. And I don't know. I, I liked her here. She, Like you said, she's kind of hit or miss. And uh, there's a show on Hulu called The Act that she's in. And that's when I was like, oh, wow. She's actually really good in that. But I don't, I don't hate her here. I feel like she's the heart and soul of this movie because mm-hmm. she's kind of a stand-in for society in a way. There's a There's a tendency, you know, she's... She's kind of lying to herself and her family that the father's going to be all right. And mm-hmm. she wants to check out. She goes and takes drugs uh, mm-hmm. and, and passes out. And so in a way, she's kind of mirroring Cage's character. But she's also kind of a stand in for this whole world around him. Right. You know, it's, she's like the personification of the world. Yeah. And uh, I, let's talk about the world here uh, before we get uh, before we hit the rest of the cast. Uh we talked in the Invasion of the Body Snatchers episode about San Francisco on film. Now, here we're in New York, and there's nothing like New York in a Martin Scorsese movie. Right. And there's nothing like New York at night. And he made the ultimate New York at night movie with Taxi Driver, which we probably need to do on the show at a mm-hmm. later date because there's some really horrific elements <laughs> in that. But um, he kind of specializes in... In the night look, for me, he's always been a director. Uh, the streets are always wet, and there's that yes. light hitting them. And uh, all the directors try to cop Scorsese's <laughs> night look. But uh, this is a this is a nighttime movie mm-hmm. and uh, a vampire movie in a lot of ways too. And yes. it the world here of New York is just absolutely insane to me. Now this takes place in the early '90s. It could take place at any time, really. It doesn't matter. Uh, the world it and it's uh, predominantly in Hell's Kitchen 
is where we're are where we're at in this movie. What did you think of the setting here of New York for this movie? To me, it was almost as a character, for you know, another character because I don't know. It felt like it lived and breathed, and it was just affecting him. Yes, I mean, it was hard not to, yeah, like you said, to see how it's affecting him, and I felt like it was. Like, like I said, a character <laughs> I mean, and the people there too, you know, yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's a living, breathing thing. And there's a, there is an, a vibrational energy happening in this movie that they do mention several times about how the vibe, the vibe, you know, the mm-hmm. vibes can affect you. And so if you know anything about metaphysics or energy, you know, work this it for me, cause I know a little bit about it. It was hitting me on that level. I'm going, yeah, man, he's getting affected by, the city at the root level, right? You know, and these people and these places that he finds himself in. And did you notice too how so much of it? What there were guardians, you know, like he had to go through doors yes. and gates. There was Gris, the uh, the policeman at the emergency room, mm-hmm. and then there's uh, Mary Kay Place playing the nurse right on the other side. But even like when he goes into the crack house, there's the guy with the with the candle or the or the light or whatever. He's like this way, this way, you yes. know. And it's like it's almost like there's all these like. Um, ferryman like on the river sticks you know which makes me think of taxi driver with robert de niro driving the the taxi almost like he's going down the river sticks yeah. you know in a lot of ways so there are some like mythological things going on here there's some like metaphysical and spiritual things happening obviously like we said i'm not being funny with is there a christ connotation here yes there is absolutely <laughs> yeah they talk about a miracle you yeah. know um so yeah, New York. I, I I couldn't see this anywhere else. It just oh, no. that just people living on top of each other, you know, uh, uh, crackheads and hookers and and all of this stuff is just just completely off of the chain. <laughs> but um, probably fitting that we talked about it in the character list. So oh yeah, in the actors. Uh, let's round this out. Cliff Curtis. We talked about Cliff Curtis on our episode we did on Doctor Sleep. Uh, he has a, a great supporting role in that. He has great supporting roles in a lot of movies. He's a character actor and mm-hmm. always a welcome sight for me. Uh, what did you think of his performance here? Because I really enjoyed Cliff Curtis as the drug dealer. I did too. There were, I don't know. I, I feel like, again, I think we said with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it was one of the best casts I had seen in a while. This might top it for me in a way. <laughs> Those are bold words, Faith. I know. Bold words, Faith. Because uh, I feel like everybody just stood out for me. You know, there was nobody like, you know, oh, this person's not necessary or not, you know, they're not needed. I liked every single person in this movie. <laughs> even the gentleman that we haven't mentioned as Noel, Mark Anthony, the singer making, mm-hmm. a, I don't know if this is his acting debut, but definitely, you know, a uh, pretty substantial film role for right. him. I hadn't seen him do anything before Mm-mm. since <laughs> outside of the video for let me be our hero what let me be our hero i don't think that's the same person yeah sure it is <laughs> i don't think it is didn't mark anthony do the hero song pretty sure that's enrique uh yeah enrique iglesias huh well what did mark anthony do have oh he sings that by Lamos song oh yeah and he was married to jayla jayla <laughs> yeah <laughs> My apologies to uh, Enrique Iglesias. I don't know too much about (laughs) My apologies to Enrique. Anyway, Mark Anthony, though, uh, probably best remembered for being married to J-Lo. What did you think of him as Noel? I I liked him. I I didn't. Yeah, he didn't. And I'm not a fan, obviously. Me neither, but I don't know. He was so weird. 
and just, just so out of the box. I don't know. I didn't hate him. I was shocked, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no offense. Yeah. What did uh? Let's let's kind of get into some of the some of the philosophical stuff here. What did you, what did you take away from the movie? Uh, because, and let me say this: for mm-hmm. everything that we've talked about here, you could really watch this as a movie about a guy trying to get some sleep. Because, <laughs> and I'm I'm not. It is kind of funny, you know. But if you look at it, the world is so loud. Mm-hmm. You know, and we were talking about this. Yeah, everybody needs to kind of bring it down, take a deep breath, you know, and listen. And the world in this movie is so loud and yeah. there's so many distractions and people calling on the radio telling you to go over here and people are doing awful things to other people and to themselves and, and he has to go deal with it, you know? And, um, it's a movie about a guy who has insomnia, can't sleep, yeah, you know, and needs to go to sleep. And so what I was taking from it was, you know, to be able to find the balance, you know, mm-hmm. as with everything, find the balance, and uh, Ving Rhames even kind of gives him, you know, you got to tune it all out, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not putting it under the rug and, and not being aware of it. It's just, you know, right. it's not being OK with it, but just finding the balance of like being able to like, you know, like you said, take a step back, take a step back. Yeah. And, and kind um, of, you know, like you said, balance it out and just. Yeah. That was one of the things I was saying. Now, easier said than done. This is a guy who helps deliver a twin who's like stillborn, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, so easier said than done, you know, I'm not, it's not an easy thing to do. Right. Uh, But that to me is one of the things I was taking away from. What were, what were some of the things you were getting out of this movie on that deeper level? I think you can get a lot, but I think kind of how you discussed earlier. I mean, I feel like he's a man that feels like he has the whole world on his shoulders and kind of has to, it's his job to, you know, to save people and you can't save everybody, you know? And yeah, I feel like, I mean, I feel like a lot of people think that, that you know, it's your job to, to take care of people, everyone and you, you can't, you're, you're not God. <laughs> it, it reminds me of a line uh, that comes from the East, but was featured in another film from 1999, The Phantom Menace by uh, Martin Scorsese's buddy, George Lucas, mm-hmm. you know, Qui-Gon Jinn played by Liam Neeson says your focus determines your reality. Mm-hmm. And those are true words. That's, that's true. That's truism to me. Yeah. Your focus determines your reality. And so he's so focused on everyone that he, that he, that he can't save yeah. that, you know, he can't save himself. That's I the was, only I person. Just about to say, I mean, yeah. the only person he can save is himself. Yeah. And he's so focused on, like you said, the people he can't save. Yeah. How are you supposed to focus on yourself? Yeah. And it's that balance. That's the balance we're talking about. Yep. Yourself and others. You know, yep. you got to be taking care of yourself before you can take care of others. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think this is a wonderful movie. It's uh, it's interesting. It it's is. It's an interesting piece because it's not just, it's, it's like I said, the vignettes. There's the through line with Patricia Arquette. There's the wonderful supporting cast. And it's, it's if you're looking for plot, you're not going to find it here. Right. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of the nature of the big Lebowski. The mm-hmm. way Lebowski is, you know, all adds up to this big thing. This is the same way these little bits add up to mm-hmm. something big that you might not be catching as you're watching. I have a feeling this has great rewatch value if the material doesn't completely bring you down. But right. I feel like there's enough of, of as, as I keep saying, the ascension to it, the the light, literal light at the end of the tunnel here. Yes. You know, for us and this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, were you empathizing with him throughout this? Were you? Oh, yeah. 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 
I was. And it was kind of bothering me as I was watching it that I was empathizing mm-hmm. so much with him. It made me really kind of take a step back and go, whoa, whoa. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because he's not a bad guy. It's just, you know. Yeah. No. But, uh, you know, he can't find peace until he rectifies squares the circle if you will if until he you know is able to let go exactly and 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 go with the flow mm-hmm. literally go with the flow <laughs> yeah which is something we've mentioned here on the show for it reminds me a lot I'm, i meant to mention this on the body snatchers episode the sutherland character feels a lot like that in that he's looking behind the veil as he's yeah. figuring out the conspiracy in that movie mm-hmm. and seeing the game and how it works, mm-hmm. you know? And so here you got another guy. I feel like it's kind of an interesting AB, you know, on those movies. Yeah. Completely different. But uh, before we take a break, uh, what did you think about this as a horror movie per se? I don't think it is described as a supernatural right? movie. Um, you had a great supernatural movie in 99, the sixth sense, which we've done mm-hmm. on the show. Both big fans of that. Uh, was it something, do you think of this as a supernatural movie, as a horror film? or Because or, it's not, to me, a straight drama. It's no, kind of hard it, to describe. It, it is kind of hard to describe. I don't know. It, uh, I don't know. Where, I honestly don't know where I would put it. It's definitely a darker movie. But I don't think it would fall in horror to me. Or even supernatural, really, you know? Yeah. I, it. Uh, with that said, the, do the supernatural elements work for you here? Yeah, I like them. Yeah, I do too. I like yeah. I like the girl. And for me the real horror is just is not uh seeing the the ghost of the people he can't can save mm-hmm. or Rose the the 18-year-old the girl he couldn't save. The real horror is the existential horror that we're all living in the shadow of death. Yeah. <laughs> we're all living in the shadow of death. He, he even says that we're all going to die, <laughs> you know. And uh that's something that a lot of us have problems with and it's a natural mm-hmm. part of life and he can't that's it to, i think is the whole deal i think yeah there you go <laughs> i think that's it right there we're all living in the shadow and we're afraid to live because of this thing that yeah. we that we can't control and that's the real horror right yeah that we can't it's very true that we can't accept that it's a natural part of of the deal yeah yeah very true it's a great film it's really, it really is it, and it's i think it's very underrated I mean, I had never heard of it. It is referred to as Lesser Scorsese. Yeah, yeah and this was his last film of the 20th century. And so. I read reviews, and everybody's like, "Oh, this! I, I forgot about this movie. I went back, and I loved it." And Roger Ebert loved it. Yeah, I read when that when it was out. <laughs> yeah, he had some wonderful things to say about it. Yeah, I think more people should watch it for sure. I do too. I do too. I I think you get out of it what you bring to it, mm-hmm. and don't go in expecting easy answers or answers at all. It's one of those, yeah. But it's not a think piece either. It's it's a very no, accessible really movie. <laughs> no, it, yeah, I just... And it moves along at a good pace, I does. feel. Yeah, I never felt like it was dragging or I was bored or, like you said, because even kind of lacking a, a plot, I never felt like I really needed one, you know? Yeah, yeah. Does that make any sense? It makes total sense. <laughs> well, do you have anything you would like to add about the film before we take a short break? I think that's it what about you oh i have nothing nothing to add at this time well we are going to take a very short break this is a news break for all of you news aficionados out there but when we get back we're going to wrap up our discussion of bringing out the dead and we are going to dust off the nicholas cage scoring <laughs> system and we're going to see how this uh film ranks on the uh on the cage factor how, how on the 
Cage scale, there I you should go. say. There it is. Cage scale. It's been a long day. It's been a long day. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. Gwyneth Paltrow, proprietor of the Goop website and co-creator of the Smells Like My Vagina candle, recently released her newest scented candle, Smells Like My Orgasm. Gwyneth, while charming as a mofo in the Iron Man movies, has apparently lost her grip on reality. Indeed. Route 2, affectionately known as the Star Wars Highway because of its abbreviation R2, is currently under construction. Motorists are encouraged to take an R2 detour. Remember, you can pick your friends, and you can pick your nose, but you cannot pick your friend's nose. And finally, in the late 90s, Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage almost made a Superman movie. While not news, the thought of what could have been never gets old. Very true. It really doesn't. And that is the news. Stay tuned. We are going to wrap up our discussion on bringing out the dead, and we are going to score it using our patented Nicolas Cage scoring system. I'm Dan. And I'm Faith. We'll see you in just a bit. back to the late night fright right here on wkmf cozy corner public radio i am dan and i am faith and faith before we go any further i just want to tell you that uh are you know what i'm getting you for christmas the smells like my orgasm candle <laughs> don't tell me no because i've already ordered it <laughs> i should get both of them you should maybe there's a two for one special uh who knows i'm waiting <laughs> for the you know smells like my bm candle you know <laughs> I wouldn't put it past her, would you? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> yeah, not at all. So let's see. We're going to continue our discussion of Bringing Out the Dead, the great film 
from Martin Scorsese starring Nicolas Cage. Before we get into the scoring, uh, we should have added this during the cast uh, discussion that we did. This is a reunion. Uh, John Goodman and yes. Nicolas Cage are reunited from Raising Arizona and Ving Rhames and uh, Nicolas Cage are reunited from Con Air. Mm-hmm. So uh, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely pretty good. I wish Cage and Scorsese had worked together some more. You know, that's another thing that kind of pulled me toward it too when I saw it because I knew they had never worked together. So that's why Cage did it too. You know, yeah. So I was like, I- I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, how that was going to play out. It's it's a shame. This is kind of almost a forgotten movie on both of their filmographies because it's so good. It's, 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 I was shocked it's, I'd never heard of it. It's very dreamlike. Mm-hmm. It's a very dreamlike movie. Yeah. Kind of it got surrealism elements in it too. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really wonderful. If you if you're a Scorsese fan, all the hallmarks of Scorsese's work here: the great soundtrack, the great you know cinematography, oh, we didn't the lighting, talk about the soundtrack, the soundtrack, That's an incredible yeah. Soundtrack. Um, TV sheets from Van Morrison opens yes. the film, and it's kind of a through line for Cage's character. Mm-hmm. But what's the frequency? Kenneth from REM, Sinatra makes an appearance. You know, there's Natalie Merchant makes a pretty memorable appearance. <laughs> uh, two kids on their first date, kind of thing in the back of an ambulance. So. A uh, lot of lot of good stuff in mm-hmm. here. Uh, Scorsese always has great music and great soundtracks. Uh, Elmer yes. Bernstein does the score. The score is wonderful. The whole thing is really wonderful. So yeah. let's uh, let's score this bad boy. If uh, you listen to our cage match episodes, you know how this rolls. But uh, if you are new to this, this is how we're going to do this. We have five categories. Faith, would you like to uh, tell them what the categories are? Sure. We have movie, uh, overall movie. We have hair voice facial expressions and the cage factor the ultimate <laughs> and the cage factor is that undefinable yeah. thing that nicholas cage brings to both movies and to life exactly. worlds i was, I was a, gonna say life <laughs> world's a much more interesting place having nicholas kim coppola in it we uh we love to talk about nicholas cage on this show we i feel like we don't do it enough i know right we just don't do it enough so uh we the scoring system we use uh Goes up to four from one to four. Uh, not stars, though. No, we give Nicks. Mm-hmm. That's right. All right, Faith, you have the honor. Uh, the first category is overall movie. I gave it four out of four Nicks. I also gave it four. Uh, I don't know if this is Scorsese's best work, but this is so damn good yeah. and solid. And uh, you just need to see it. I don't feel like we need to validate the four right on that it's it's solid yeah so, we're giving it a four for a reason so yeah you should watch it <laughs> you should watch it uh next category one of my one of my favorites usually uh <laughs> hair uh cage is known for some of his quaffs uh in his films uh natural hair and uh, uh of the wig variety, wig I, variety. I, think, I think we're wearing it in bringing out the dead i think he's I think he's wearing the hair here doesn't matter so. i gave it a three nice and full didn't quite look like a dead animal up on his on his head, but <laughs> nice and full. Reminded me of the Ronnie Camerari look from Moonstruck, as I mm-hmm. said. Uh, uh, kind of had that early '90s, that '90s look to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of had the little uh, uh, what do you call it, ducktail, kind of hanging out at the bottom. Yes, you know. So uh, <laughs> nice full look for the cage in this. Uh, the fine hairline too. So I thought they did a good job with the hair system in this movie. <laughs> the hair system. <laughs> Uh, I also gave it three nicks as well. I agree with you. It it, it looks pretty good for, for the, the hair system they were doing. And looks kind of natural. It does. It does. 
Kind of natural. Let's see, Faith. uh, Voice, another one of our favorites uh, here on the show, The Voice. How'd you score that? I gave it 2.5. I I liked his voice here, but it wasn't that over-the-top Nicolas Cage thing that I like so much. (laughs) And no accent either. Mm -mm. You know, Uh, straight cage here. Mm -hmm. Pretty straight cage. Uh, I gave it a three, and I gave it a three because it's uh, the soothing Nick Cage voice. Mm -hmm. It's a real soothing voice he was using here. Uh, This is the kind of voice I'd like to hear him read uh, nursery rhymes to children with. Very soothing, very soothing. Uh, Hickory dickory dock. I did not know Nicolas Cage was here with us. Oh, my goodness. That kind of thing. But I I like the soothing. I do like his voice. I do, too. I love... (laughs) I love the soothing nature of his voice. And there were enough little moments where he kind of did this, yes. you know, that that came out that uh, I think to justify. Because I almost went to five, but I went I went to three <laughs> because then I didn't have to. It didn't mess my math up. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, face. Yeah, these are all our favorite categories here on the Late Night Fright. Uh, Nick is known for being a little bit of a hammy ham and a human cartoon. Uh, mm-hmm. I went four. And I went four. Because he doesn't really pull too many weird expressions, but he was drawing me into this the entire time with that with hangdog face. look, uh-huh. and it didn't seem like he was trying. Right. Seemed like he was channeling something. So I went with the four. It, uh, you know, that's the one I think where anybody else you, know, you can make a case for any other score, but I, I'm going with the four <laughs> on that because it just drew me in. I went three and a half, and it was. I mean, I agree with you. He, he everything's on his face, and I mean. I think it was great. But again, I miss those little, you know, maybe little strange <laughs> facial expressions. Yeah. I don't know. He And it's kind of funny. You want the cartoon faces from him, you know, because we just do. Yeah. That's just, just who we are. You just do. But uh, he kind of reminded me of a cartoon character, Droopy the Dog, in a lot of ways <laughs> in this movie. That hangdog look. But there was something mesmerizing and beautiful about his face in this movie. Yeah, his eyes or something. Yeah. Were, yeah, they were, you, you know, drawn to them. Very full of life in this movie. And finally, Faith, the cage factor, the undefinable thing that Nicolas Cage brings <laughs> to movies and to life. Mm-hmm. How'd you score it? Four, Nicks. What about you? Four. Because <laughs> a lot of people could have played this role, mm-hmm. but he brings something to this, I think, that uh, only he He brings bring. the cage factor to <laughs> He brought the cage factor to it, yeah. I feel like they were a really great match, uh, Scorsese mm-hmm. and Cage. And I know this was a very hard shoot. It was shot over 65 days in a brutal New York uh-huh. cold winter. Winter, yeah. And uh, I really love the pairing here. I wish they would do something else. I do too. I really do. Yeah. Uh, my total came to three six. Uh, what did? What was your? Uh, three four. Three four, both respectable. Mm-hmm. And our total together was three five, three point five nicks. That would have been. Uh, Depending on who it was paired against, that would have been a passing score in the uh, in the cage match. That probably yeah. would have got it to a, to another round. Oh yeah, <laughs> unless it was up against Raising Arizona or uh, Face Off or Moonstruck, <laughs> or which Moonstruck, were yeah. we had we had what were those our three perfects? I feel like there was four, maybe not. There could have been another. Yeah, there's so many. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean he's he's got so many great films in mm-hmm. the in the filmography. So this is uh, this is a great underrated piece of cage this was a great pick too because it does have the horror elements yeah to it uh i mean i know we're a horror podcast but it's you know it's nice to kind of stray from straight horror yeah all totally the time. and i think there's enough 
weirdness here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you needed to defend the choice. Yeah. You know, but uh, like so the movie's kind of dark. It's on that darker side. So I mean. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I I really like it. I, I definitely recommend it. Mm-hmm. So highest recommendation. So next week we have a stone cold classic in the horror genre. It's my pick. It's my it's my week. Faith. It's my week. <laughs> my week. Uh, we are going to be talking about the Amityville Horror from 1979 with James Brolin and one of my favorites <laughs> of all time. Can I say her name? You can say her name. Margot Kidder. <laughs> Margot Kidder. Lois Lane. Margot Kidder. Yeah. Ah, Margot. I love Margot. So, I haven't seen this movie in forever. How long I has it been? I think it's been maybe two or three years. I saw it. I watched it around Halloween. We're not back. talking about the remake. We are talking about the original. Oh, I know. With, uh, I know. with Brolin and Margot <laughs> Kidder and Rod Steiger. Get out. That's my that's my impression of the house. Get out. <laughs> so, should be, uh, should be pretty good. Yeah, I think so. Looking forward to it. Uh, let me ask this question to bring it back around to what we were talking about earlier and how we started this segment with music. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about the Memphis music at the beginning of this show. Is there uh, Are there tunes that are favorites of yours? Uh, what are some of your oh, favorite man. Memphis tracks of oh, the soul variety? All of them? <laughs> no, I, I, I couldn't. I don't, I don't think I could pick favorites right now. Honestly, uh, I think uh, for me, it's uh, Otis doing Try a Little Tenderness, yeah. which is one of the great American music moments of all time. <laughs> Booker T and the MGs doing Time is Tight. Um, Eddie Floyd doing Knock on Wood. Al Green doing uh, Let's Stay Together. You and, see, there are too many. So many of his hits. <laughs> uh, now, that's of the soul variety. Now, there's some great. Uh, R&B and rock and rockabilly uh, coming out of Memphis, too, with Elvis influence. So there's a lot of great music out of Memphis, but of the soul variety, especially the stacks, I mean, those are just some of my favorites out of so many. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. So many. <laughs> but uh, I'm, 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 I'm very sincere with what I said earlier. Um, you know, I think we all need to do it, but at least we can do it. We can all, if you're listening to, to this show, please... Please take three minutes to do this. Just turn off the news, turn off the TV, mm-hmm. uh, sit quietly in the dark, and and take that deep breath and let it out. And see, listen, listen to the little person inside of your heart. Listen, listen to that. And I don't want to get preachy on this show. This is not what we're about here on the show. But uh, th- these are strange times that we find ourselves mm-hmm. living in. Um, but take that deep breath. Get in touch with that with your inner self. Enjoy the great American music and culture that is ours. Enjoy yes. these great American movies, courtesy of these great artists that we've been talking about tonight mm-hmm. on this show. Martin Scorsese, Nicolas Cage. Uh, we've done a lot of movies here on the show. All of those shows are available wherever podcasts can be found. But check out those movies. Check And just take that minute and shut out the world. Because you don't yes. want to end up like the guy in this movie. Ooh, you know, no, no, and Find no. that balance in your <laughs> life. I know it's hard. Um, and like I said, I don't mean to sound like I'm preaching. That's the last thing I want to do on this show. But uh, right. I feel like we, I feel like the world would be a better place if we did that. And I just want to add, take care of yourself. Take uh-huh. care of yourself. If you learn anything from this movie tonight, take care of yourself. Faith, is there anything that you would like to add? I think that's it. Anything for you? I think that's it. 
I think that's it. It feels like it's at time. Doesn't it, it does. Let's see if we listen very closely. Well, thank you all for tuning in wherever you are out there in the world. And sincerely, I hope you're staying safe and, and stay strong. Um, to my good buddy, George, I love you. Happy trails, George. Rest in peace, my friend. Heaven has a great band tonight. Faith, anything you'd like to say? I, I agree with you. Everybody stay safe and don't go crazy. Turn off the news and listen to our show. <laughs> listen to our show for sure. Faith, let's do it. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep, keep your, your monster, monster on a leash. Love you, George. See you next time. Next time on the Late Night Fright. It's the kind of house they don't build anymore. A relic of a time when the world wasn't in such a hurry. When there was still time for a little charm and elegance. It has stood empty for a long while. And at the price, it is a bargain. For a growing young family, it is almost too good to be true. What do you think? I love it. James Brolin, Margot Kidder, Rod Steiger in the Amityville Horror. God's peace in this house. after the Lutz family moved into their dream house. They were running for their lives. What happened to them is an experience in terror you will never forget. And you will believe in the Amityville horror. From the best-selling book that made millions believe in the unbelievable, the Amityville horror.
Amityville Horror. 